We have been in the chapter 10 of the Gospel of Matthew and talking about how Jesus sent out his disciples in the limited commission and looking at the pictures uh, that Jesus gave about that work. We noticed in the, the first third of chapter 10, you see Jesus sending his disciples compassionately because he looks upon the crowd And rather than being disgusted by their sins, he sees uh, sheep without a shepherd. He sees that they are harassed and helpless and distressed. And that is the the message of the gospel is to give them the good news. The second picture in the second part of chapter 10 has been to send out his disciples fearlessly. That they would know that they are sheep going in among wolves. But to understand that God would be with them, that God would see what they're experiencing. And rather than fearing the approval of people, the need to fear God, the one who can kill not only the body, but also the soul. And now we come to the final section in Matthew chapter 10. And we're going to begin in verse 34, where now he's going to call for his disciples to go out and be sent sacrificially. Let's read this paragraph and then we're going to notice a number of aspects of what he calls for his disciples to do. And then uh, as always, God always ends on a ringing message of hope. And so he also does here as he concludes this section to send out his disciples. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. All right, so we get an interesting picture as he shifts into this final section. And you might notice from verse 34 to verse 39, he's giving different aspects of being sent sacrificially. After talking about having compassion for the people and being fearless as they go out as sheep among wolves, he now talks about what this is going to cost his disciples, what is expected of them, and ultimately what they are going to give up. And you see Jesus come back to something that he talked about earlier in this chapter. You will notice in verses 34 to 37, he starts talking again about the need to have a loyalty to Jesus That is higher than a loyalty to family. He already talked about how you're going to have family against one another. And remember, he even said, everyone is going to hate you as you go and proclaim the gospel. And he does the same thing here again in talking about it's not going to be peace. It's going to be a sword. Verse 35, we have daughters against mothers and sons against fathers and daughter-in-laws. And the whole list is being given there describing 
to, to sum up in verse 36, a person's enemies will be even those in his own household. And there is a, a call for us that Jesus is asking us to think about is, will our loyalty to Jesus be higher than our loyalty to our family? And one of the things that I think is interesting for Jesus to come tracing back on this idea again is I think it underscores that there is an extraordinary temptation to put family first. There's an extraordinary feeling within us to think it is right for us to put our families ahead of God. It seems natural. It sounds logical. It looks right. We even know the scriptures tell us that we have to carry out our roles, whatever it may be, as husbands and wives and as parents and as children. And so wouldn't it be natural to say that then family would be of the highest priority? And I want you to see that Jesus now twice has to say, no, your loyalty to me must be higher than even that. And I think sometimes this temptation can be seen in a lot of ways. Uh, it can be seen and sometimes we'll think, well, uh, we're not going to do God things because we need to have family time. As if that it would sound good to God. You know, go ahead and set me over here because it's family time. Uh, we're going to spend more time with our families and, and we'll put God to the sideline for a while. We can put him in time out for a bit while we carry on with our family activities that we have and family things that are important to us. And we're going to focus on the family and do things like that. And, and it can sound right and sound good. But I want you to notice that Jesus is, is giving an important statement there in verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And then he says it the opposite direction. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And we are called for Christ to be the, of the highest priority. And it is important that we would never compromise when it comes to family. And that is sometimes the easiest thing to do. Because we want the approval of family. We want to belong to the family. We want to fit in with the family. We don't want to be the black sheep of the family. We don't want to be the outsider. We don't want to be that crazy person who's always talking about Jesus while they're not talking about those things. We have a lot of pressure when it comes to family that we often don't want to step into that and say, here's what God says and you need to hear it. Or here is what sin is and you need to understand that sin. What you're doing is wrong or this is the way to God. There are all kinds of ways that we can kind of soften up the gospel or kind of hide a little bit because it's family. And I believe the reason why Jesus tracks over that twice is because we are greatly tempted to do that. One of the things that I, I, I struggle with in understanding is why we have the tendency in our lives to compartmentalize the things of God and the things of family. Why can't our focus on the family be spiritual? Why can't in our efforts to do family things and have family time that that be a spiritual time as well? Why can't our family times be spent around talking about Bible things or praying or reading the word or just talking about things that we've learned in the scriptures? Why does it have to be that family time is quarantined away from serving God, going to worship services, going to gospel meetings or whatever it is. I'll never forget one preacher telling me he would say, 
We never go to gospel meetings on Friday night because Friday night is family time. And my jaw would always be laying on the ground. What? Why don't you just bring your family and call it family time? (laughs) Is there a better family time than doing spiritual things? But we do this. We compartmentalize. Job sits over here and it's separated from God and separated from family. Family sits here and it's separated from job and it's separated from God. And here's God and it's separated from family and it's separated from job. That's not how God looks at it. God says, I'm in all of it. And remember, that's what Deuteronomy 6 was saying, right? So you're going to keep these things about teaching your children when you rise up and when you're out and about and when you're in the home and when you're sitting and all of those different spots that he's talking about is every activity of life would be God saturated in terms of the family. That's what Deuteronomy 6 is saying. That's the whole rise up and when you lie down and on the way. So basically everywhere you go. Uh, my, my kids were joking with me uh, since they came home uh, evacuating from the hurricane last week. And uh, my middle one was saying that she had a, uh, she's at a Christian college. And so she has an Old Testament history test. And she's like, all of those dates you made us memorize, we're being tested on. And I said, well, you should do really good at that. <laughs> you should have all of that information. Because that's one of the things we would do. If we went on a car ride, I'd just start, all right. Uh, who was Adam's wife's name? And they'd be in the back seat and have to answer that. And I would just go through the whole history of the Old Testament, just quizzing them left and right and left and right. And now they can get A's. No, and that's not the point. <laughs> that's not the point at all. No, the point is, why wouldn't you use those opportunities? Why not spend family time in spiritual things? And that's what this is talking about here. Don't love family above God. God is supreme and let everything else fold into that. And so that's the picture that is that is being given here. A loyalty to Jesus must be over our loyalty to our families. The second picture follows right behind that in verse 38. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. The second picture is Our loyalty to Jesus must be higher than our loyalty to ourselves. It must be higher than our own personal desires and our own personal comforts. He says here that we're not worthy to follow him if we do not take up the cross. Now, Jesus will talk about taking up the cross and we'll often frame that in terms of we're going to go through difficulties and we're going to not always be able to do the things that we want to do and we're going to serve God instead. And those are all right, but I want you to notice the context of which we are talking about is that the context here is about carrying the cross in such a way that we would decide that we will teach other people. That's our context. If we are unwilling to move outside of our comfort zones to share the good news of Christ, he says we're not worthy of him. Or to put it another way, part of carrying the cross is carrying the message. And I understand that carrying the message can be uncomfortable. He has described in this whole chapter how it is going to be uncomfortable and how it is going to be difficult. But part of our calling to carry the cross and following Jesus means we're going to go outside of that comfort zone. And I know 
you don't think it's uncomfortable for me. You think like, I, this is all easy for me or something like that, and it's totally not. Going outside of your introverted comfort zone, if you're introverted like me, and having to like, you know, swallow your guts and try to keep your knees from shaking and all of that to talk to somebody about God is what this is talking about. This is part of the sacrifice that's being made. Jesus is not telling us, go and tell other people about the good news when it feels comfortable to you, when it's easy. He uses carry the cross. It is going to be hard. It is going to make your stomach hurt. It is going to give you a heart attack. You are going to be nervous. That's okay. You're doing the work. You're doing what you're supposed to do. When you have that feeling, there's nothing wrong with that. You're, this is the picture of carrying out that cross. And that is the image that I think you see even the Apostle Paul talking about, of this image of sacrificing self to be able to give the good news. Listen to how the Apostle Paul described it. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 10, We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our bodies. Here he is saying, we suffer to the point of death constantly so that other people can have the life that comes from the gospel. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Why? so that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. We're giving ourselves and sacrificing ourselves and laying our lives on the line so that others can have the opportunity for life. That's what this is saying as he speaks to his disciples. When you go out there, it's a picture of carrying the cross. Nobody said it was going to be comfortable. Nobody said it was going to be easy. Nobody said that that sharing the good news was going to be something that would just come naturally to you. I don't know that it comes naturally to almost anybody unless you were the most extreme extroverted person and you just love that kind of stuff. There are some people who are like that, and I'm always amazed by that. I'm like jaw dropped like, you know, I have to talk myself through it. And I think it's important to see that picture here in verse verse 38. Whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. We die so that Christ can be seen in us. And the third picture of loyalty, loyalty to Jesus above family, loyalty to Jesus above ourselves and our own comforts and our own desires, pushes into the third loyalty of verse 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I think this is a tremendous challenge because I think we are so wired to trying to grab all that we can out of this life. Make this world your life. You worry about here and now. You worry about your decisions now. You worry about how things affect you now. And I want you to notice that he gives a very big warning here. Living for this life means you are losing true life. It is really easy to run over that verse. Ah, whoever finds his life will lose and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Please think about what he says. If you're finding life here, you don't have true life. You've given it up. To live for this life 
means we are forfeiting that life to come. And then he reverses it and says, if you will lose your life here, if you will carry that cross and sacrifice self, sacrifice family, sacrifice comfort, sacrifice those desires, if you will lose living for here, he says, you will gain true life. And I want you to see that these things are held as in opposite to each other. We try so hard to live for this life and still have eternal life. We are going to figure out a way to make it happen. We are going to fulfill all our desires and live for our comforts and live for our ease and live for our things and also still have eternity. And Jesus just said here, you cannot do that. You are either living for here or you're living for there. You cannot live for both. And we have to consider then our priorities or to state this ultimately another way. We are called to make such a commitment to Jesus that it supersedes all other commitments and relationships that we have. That's what he's calling for. There is going to be such a reorienting of our priorities as the people of God so that all other commitments and all other appointments and all other schedules and all other necessities and everything else falls under our loyalty to Jesus. Our loyalty to Jesus is supreme. We follow that. That is the most important thing. And so think about that. That is a complete reversal of the world's priorities. And I think that's what makes this hard. Because our culture, plus our own fleshly desires say, do what's comfortable. Take it easy. Don't sacrifice yourself. It shouldn't be hard. Just live the life of ease and relax. Live for here. Live for this world. And Jesus is giving such an important warning to us that we must have a total reversal of our loyalties, a total reversal of our commitments, a total reorienting of our desires. And so these are giving us pictures of what it looks like to such a degree that we would be willing to lose our lives for the cause of Christ. And we really have to grab on and really analyze. Would we really be willing to do that? Would we really be willing to lose our life for the cause of Christ? Would we be willing to take that stand? Would we still proclaim Jesus, even if that were to be a death sentence to us? You know, I want you to think, that's what the Apostle Paul, we just read about, is going around saying. He's, he's going to, the reason we are, are willing to give ourselves over to death is so that uh, the life of Christ can be seen. We are willing to give our lives. And that's why you see the Apostle Paul doing what he's doing and how he was able to go into city after city and keep proclaiming the gospel is because that's the mission. And if that means giving our lives in the process, then so be it, we will do it. And it is such an important call to us because we live in such a comfortable time that it's easy to think, well, certainly God would not want me to die for the cause of Christ. 
Well, certainly God would not want me to be uncomfortable for the cause of Christ. Certainly God would not want me to do something difficult for the cause of Christ. And this whole chapter just throws that on its head and goes, wait a minute. Are we living for here? Or are we living for the world to come? And we must make decisions based on the world to come and not living for here. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now watch how he shifts into something very important in this as, as he ends. A beautiful, hopeful picture about the great reward that is coming. In verse 40, he says, Whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet receives the prophet's reward. The one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive the righteous person's reward. There's some really neat pictures here that are being given. One, let's talk about it in the first direction that is being described. That there is a great reward for listening to and receiving the gospel message. And that's what he's telling his disciples. As you go out and proclaim the message, and if they receive you, that is receiving Christ. He's just laying that forward. And whoever receives the prophet's message, the righteous person's message, then they're receiving a great reward. And so we need to look at it in terms of as we listen to the message and we receive it and follow it, there is great reward that is given to us. And that's what we just saw in verse 39, is that if we will be willing to lose our life for the sake of Jesus, then we will certainly find it. But keep in mind that he's instructing these disciples in this limited commission. So we shouldn't be looking at it in terms of what we are receiving, but actually the other way around. And what he's saying to them is, you are going out and giving them that same great reward. Whoever receives you, as he speaks to those disciples, is receiving Christ, and they're receiving that reward. There is something beautiful of the idea to think about how we are be able to go into the world and we are sharing with them this great reward. And one of the encouragements I would like for you to have in this idea of sent as we share the gospel and go out on the mission is to think about it like this. The people that you know in your life, do you want them to have the same reward that you are looking forward to having? Or don't you? Look at those people and think about do you want them to enjoy the same reward that's been promised to you? That's what he's telling them. People who received these apostles, they were going to receive it as if it was Jesus himself. But then he opens it up in verse 41. If they will receive a righteous person because of who he is, they're going to receive a reward. Look at it in terms of what you are giving to people. Too often, I think we're blocked by fear. And we're not looking at it in terms of we are trying to give them something that we have. I want them to have what I have. And I'm not going to be selfish about that and go, well, at least I have it and it's a shame you don't have it. I want you to have it. I want you to have that great reward. 
And so I will step into my family and talk to them, even if they've turned away from God, or even if they're living in sin, or they violated God's word. I will step into friendships and say, I want you to have this great reward that I have. I will step into the community and into neighborhoods and friendships and all of those different relationships that you have in life, because we want them to have that very same reward. Now, look at how he wraps this up, because I think it's great. Verse 42. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is my disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. I want you to think about, even in that day and time, giving somebody a cup of cold water, does that seem like a small thing? Does that seem like, you know, it's too small, right? <laughs> I want you to see Jesus ending this, this call by saying, even our smallest efforts are going to be rewarded. I think sometimes we have the tendency to think too big. Well, I'll explain that. So we mean to think too big. You can never think too big. Let's aim big. Sometimes what we do is we think too big. We think that in sharing the gospel, we need a big program. We need a big system. We need some kind of machinery. We've got to have this whole thing going on that's, you know, got lights and whistles and all, does all these neat things. And here is our big program for evangelism. And I want you to see what often happens is that as we try to think about big things, nothing gets done. And I want you to notice how Jesus ends this, not by saying, so come up with a big plan. He says, can you give a cup of cold water to somebody? If you do that because you're a disciple, you will by no means lose your reward. There is something so important about the idea of being willing to think small because there is no work that is insignificant in the kingdom of God. Instead of thinking about all the big things that we might be able to do and then never do because they're so big, are there small things that we can do? Let me give you a couple easy ones. When an unbeliever comes to the door, can you greet them and get to know them? Think that qualifies as doing the very work? And sometimes we can look at them like, oh, well, that's so small. No, it's not. No, it's not. Can we afterward ask them to come to our home or take them out to lunch so that we can talk to them about their spiritual needs and why they came? Is that too small? Can we help them with their kids when they come to worship? You know, one important thing we can do when we have guests who come is they're often looking for, where do I dump my kids off in the daycare while we worship? You be the daycare. Say, hey, I've got kids your age. Why don't you sit right here? And I'll wrestle them. And you, you listen. I'll deal with them. I'll help them color. I'll help them play with their toys so that the adult can listen and participate to what's going on. Is that too small of a thing? 
You see what I mean about we sometimes want these big things that are outside of ourselves when it is these small things can, that can be the most critical. These small things that can be the easiest and sometimes overlooked. Can you ask your neighbor just to come to church? Maybe that's too much. I'll make it easier. Can you tell your neighbor, hey, I go to a church in West Palm and you should just check out the website sometime. Is that pretty un, not fearful? Just, you know, hey, check out a website. Don't overlook the small things because Jesus says the small things will absolutely be rewarded. Can you talk to people about our upcoming lectureship? Can you ask them about their spiritual needs? Hey, how are you doing? How, how is life treating you? As you talk to your neighbors or your coworkers or your friends, can you engage them in such a way that moves beyond, yeah, it's supposed to be nice outside and isn't that great, but try to engage them in a little bit more about their spiritual needs so that you show that you care about them. And I think it is far better for us to think about all the many things that are small that are possible for us to do than trying to come up with one big thing that we never end up doing. We get in our mind and we're going to do and it's too big. Just do the small things. Just do what comes to you. God is giving us opportunities every single day. Take advantage of those small opportunities and do what you can. I want to apply that idea from Romans chapter 12 and verse 6. As he writes, and I believe he's speaking to them in terms of the miraculous spiritual gifts that those people had, but I believe the application still works exactly the same. Are you able to teach people? Great. Go teach. But one of the things that you never have the scripture saying is everybody needs to be a teacher. Everybody quit your job and be a preacher and go out there and do that. He doesn't say that. He says, are, are you able to teach? Good. Zero in on that and do that. But then he moves on. Are you better just serving others? Is that in your wheelhouse? Then serve. Show them Christ in your serving. Do that as yours. He doesn't say, now all of us are going to have to go. No, all of us have these different gifts that are given to us of what we can do. How about exhorting? Are you somebody that can come up to somebody and go, hey, I know you need a good, good encouraging word. Are you good at being a Barnabas? Go up to people and give them the encouragement that they need. You know, you, you, you've got the right kind of thinking and that compassion and you know how to say things in the right way and you have that kind of tact to help them, then use that gift and do that. Generosity. Is that in your wheelhouse? Be generous with people. Now, don't just be generous with people and not tie it to Christ. Otherwise, what good is it? But be generous with people and tie it to Christ. I'm doing this because I believe in my Lord and Savior. And I want to give the good to you. I like what my wife has tried to teach our kids over and over again. Um, God's been generous to us. And so we're going to be generous to others. God's been generous to me. I'm going to be generous to you. Which, by the way, is 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. That's what he says there. But to have that kind of mentality. What has God given you? give it to others or if leadership can you take the bull by the horns as we say things that you see that can be done you're like i can take care of that i want to get that done 
I see there's different things that we can do. Do it. Dan and I have repeatedly said, do it. Just do it. <laughs> Use your gift and do it. Uh, mercy. You good at that? What I want us to see is these small things are all necessary as the people of God as we work together to be able to accomplish this work of reaching lost souls, that God wants us to do those things. We would read something like verse 42 and say, giving a cup of cold water to somebody because we're a disciple of Jesus sounds small and insignificant. And God comes along and says, no, it's not. Those small things are so important. And I want you to think about if we have a hundred people here doing small things every single day, what do you think God will do with that? What do you think God will do with that? Stepping into these kinds of abilities and gifts that God has given to us. If we step into those moments and take advantage of those opportunities, I think God's going to be able to continue to do great things for us as he has in the past. So let's wrap it up with this. But that means the loyalty has to be to Jesus. We're not going to do the small things if we're more loyal to family. We're not going to do the small things if we're more loyal to our comfort. Because serving and teaching and leading and being generous, those aren't comfortable things. I know we're stepping out of ourselves and we're stepping into those spaces. But we have to do that. We have to live for the world to come, not the world here, if we're going to accomplish those things. But Jesus is calling for us to have a loyalty that is so strong that it would be willing to sacrifice our lives. Would we be willing to be like the Apostle Paul says and to be given over to death so that other people could have life? That we're willing to accept that outcome because them receiving the gospel is the most important thing. And we want to step into that. But notice how he motivates that. We are certainly receiving a reward as we do this. But also think about the reward you're giving. Every person you know, every person you love, Every person that means something to you in your life, you are giving them this reward. So step into those spaces, do the small things, and let God do the work as we carry that out. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for giving us your son. Lord, and I pray that you would forgive us for the times that we have ignored opportunities that you have put before our eyes. Because we can allow fear and we can allow comforts and allow family and allow living for this world to interfere with the mission you've given us. And so, God, forgive us for that. And, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see in each of our lives the small things that we can do. Help us to see where we can teach, where we can serve, where we can encourage, where we can be generous, where we can lead, and where we can be merciful. Help us to be those people, Lord. Help us to see what you have given to us and desire to give that same great reward to others. Lord, help us to be strong in the faith as we do it because we know that we are like sheep that are going among wolves and we know that not everybody will receive it. But just as your son was rejected, we accept that as well because it is worth eternity with you. So Lord, keep our eyes on the goal. Help us to live for the world to come. 
and not for this life alone. In Jesus' name, amen. I've, I've mentioned before that, um, Lord willing, beginning of next year, on our Wednesday night studies, we will talk about more practical things that we can do in that. And you might remember we started that in 2020, and then 2020 happened. <laughs> and so we have, we'll just restart that attempt of trying to talk about the practical ways that we can engage our friends, engage the community, and we'll use our Wednesday nights in January to start that. So that'll be coming as well. So if you feel motivated, step into that. But as well know, as we're going to give you more tools uh, to do that coming into the next year. Uh, we're going to sing a song. Anything we can do for you to come to Jesus this very evening and, and bring your life to him, to turn away from your sins, to be uh, a follower of him with all of your heart and to serve him faithfully. We want you to do that tonight. Turn away from your sins. Confess him to be your Lord and Savior. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Let us know if we can help you. Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?